In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Giacomo Zucco, a Bitcoin maximalist and a really interesting guy that I've been following on Twitter for a while. You may notice that uh, at the very beginning and at the very end, there's a little bit difference in audio quality because we had numerous technical difficulties, including a power outage right towards the end. So there was actually a little bit of editing and splicing of audio. Usually I don't like to do that and I don't ever plan to do that in, in future interviews, but this just had to be redone. Uh, the intro and the outro segment had to be redone after it had already been done just because of these technical difficulties. Uh, Giacomo was a great guy. He was uh, very understanding and, and was very gracious in his time and what should have been probably been about an hour interview stretched on to a little over two hours. So I wanna say thank you uh, very much. I, I really enjoyed this interview. There were a lot of things, and I'll say it at the very end that, um, and I wasn't being facetious, facetious when I said that there's a lot a lot for me to think about and that I wasn't becoming a Bitcoin maximalist yet at that moment, but there, there was a lot of thought-provoking arguments that I hadn't heard quite worded in a way that really struck me as, as when it did in this interview. So I really hope that you enjoy this interview with Giacomo Zucco. Today, we are interviewing Giacomo Zucco, director of BHB Networks. He's a Twitter instigator and Bitcoin maximalist. Giacomo, welcome to the show. Now, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, tell me your Bitcoin origin story. So basically, I met Bitcoin starting from 2010, and it kept coming out in very different contexts I was interested in. I was interested in technology for payments, and that was also part of my job because I was working in a multinational company as a technology consultant, mostly for payments. And so uh, it started popping out in, in forums describing cryptography for payments and new payment technologies. Also, I was a, 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 I was a diehard uh Austrian economic fan and gold fan, gold bag. So it was all about the end of central banking, Ron Paul and the Fed, uh, all this kind of uh, libertarian, uh, paleo-libertarian uh, rhetoric, also very much into the st study of free banking. And on a very separate note, uh, I was starting to get very, very interested into privacy fights and privacy political issues like uh, WikiLeaks, uh, and the TOR and the global surveillance. I was starting to get interested into the question of WikiLeaks, Assange. So I was, uh, I was interested in Austrian economics and free banking since a lot of years, but I was interesting, uh, interested in privacy battles and privacy activism just since a very, very, uh, a very, very uh, recently. Uh, but the interesting thing about Bitcoin is that it started popping up in very different contexts. So I was, uh, I was uh, uh, surfing these uh, technology forums and I heard about Bitcoin and I dismissed it. Then I was surfing uh, gold bugs and uh, free banking forums and I heard about Bitcoin and I partially dismissed it. And then I started to uh, surf about in for uh, forums about uh, the, the dark web and Tor and privacy and WikiLeaks and Assange. And I started to learn about cypherpunk 
cypherpunk uh, and uh, crypto anarchist theory around 2010, 2011. And then uh, basically I started to realize that it was popping up in very different contexts. And it was my wife, Mir, that told me uh, in 2013, she told me basically Bitcoin is uh, the only constant in very, very different uh, niche interest that you have very different among each other so uh, you want to do technology you want to do to do politics you are like divided between privacy advo- uh, privacy uh, advocacy and uh, free banking advocacy uh, and also you should make some money sometimes instead of just uh, going around doing the the political activist or the technology nerd and so you should focus on bitcoin she told me that uh, to me in 2013 uh, I was already studying Bitcoin since one year and it was very difficult to me for me to focus on anything else. So in 2013, I quit the uh, the multinational company and I started to participate to various Bitcoin-based businesses in very different fields from payments to mining to consultancy to uh, also to something a little bit more scam like uh, blockchain-based timestamping to manage and to verify uh, supply chain for wine, which which we know right now doesn't make any sense with Bitcoin or blockchain, but uh, I did experiment on that. Many of these ventures, they failed or they pivoted to non-Bitcoin stuff, uh, but some of these ventures mm, did pretty well like uh, i i worked very briefly about a very about at the very beginning with lawrence naum at the wallet green address and now this was the most advanced wallet around and i have been acquired by blockstream so very proud uh then basically in 2000 from since 2013 to 2015 i started to do the serial startupper and in 2015 i since it was not it was not clear to me which was the the best business model around Bitcoin, I started to basically um, uh, create a venture in order to explore business models. So I created Blockchain Lab and BHB Network, which is a network of uh, uh, consulting companies and uh, incubators, let's say, and uh, and a non-profit open source foundation, uh, uh, which has uh, as goal to gather all the smart people and all the best startups together, provide them with free space, uh, resources, uh, venture capital investments, uh, and uh, jobs uh, when necessary. Uh, and in exchange, I, I was getting a lot of information and I was uh, uh, extracting, uh, structuring and packaging this information in order to sell it for financial incumbents, incumbents especially banks, especially in Switzerland. Uh, and this was my, my job for uh, basically three years. Uh, so it was not a Bitcoin startup, but a meta Bitcoin startup, like a, a gathering of various start- startup. Financially speaking, it was not scalable. Uh, I did not make a lot of money. In, indeed, I, I did use a lot of my money. A lot of my early uh, both uh, or minor Bitcoin has been spent in order to sustain this business. So financially speaking, uh, this was not great. But uh, from a personal development, a personal growth point of view, I'm very happy about the choice because I got to know many of the most intelligent people I, I ever met in these years. And they, they were great for me and my wife and all our, uh, our co-workers and startuppers and experts. We created a lot of uh, strong relationships. And of course, we, uh, we managed to have a privileged viewpoint over the Bitcoin uh, evolution and, and, uh, and final goals. So it was, it was great. So before we get into talking about small blocks, big blocks, I just 
wanted to get your, you know, definition of like, what, what is Bitcoin? Like what, you know, what is Bitcoin to you? And, and what do you think that Bitcoin is to the world? So I think that Bitcoin is uh, uh, the one of the first succeeding uh, experiments in sound money. So sound, uh, I would say, uh, ideal money, not in the sense of John Nash, but in the more in, in a broader sense. So basically, money is a great technology, one of the first technologies invented by uh, by the humankind, and it, and it's great. It, it solves a lot of problems with barter, double confidence of wants. And it solves the problem of capital accumulation for investing and all this kind of stuff. Of course, money has to have a lot of characteristics, but these characteristics are sometimes these features are sometimes in trade-offs one with the other. For example, uh, gold is a, it was a great form of money, but it was not very easy to verify. That's why people started to use a coinage in order to verify gold. But coinage was a centralized trust in some entity that was putting the image on the coin. So it was not perfect because sometimes the centralized entity was tampering with the value of the coin, uh, debasing it basically. So uh, pure pieces of gold are better than uh, coined uh, coins. Uh, as for uh, security from third parties uh, as a security security hole, uh, but they were worse as for verification uh, because you need a, a hydrostatic scale in order to check the content of gold of your of your money. Also, gold is very difficult to transport. If you have to transport or to hide a lot of gold, you need a lot of space, uh, and uh, of course you can uh, you can make something that which is uh, even more compact than gold as uh, as a density of wealth. But the problem there is that uh, you are giving up uh, divisibility. So how can you pay your coffee with uh, with uh, uh, platinum or even with gold? You can't. So that's why people use the silver. But then you have a two, two metal standards, which is very difficult for, uh, for which makes every, uh, which builds up more friction and makes uh, uh, standards more uh, complex to manage and economical calculus more complex. So basically, the monetary system evolved, but any time that uh, we were getting some feature, uh, some new feature, uh, some new positive feature, we were also letting go some other feature on the other way. So basically, we arrived to uh, uh, fiduciary-based um, central banks based uh, fiat money, which is based on uh, uh, the threat of violence of the legal tender and of the monetary monopoly. So it is the law enforcement basically uh, punishing with violence everybody which is using alternative forms of, uh, of money and everybody who is uh, not accepting that money for payment. Uh, and on the same side, you also have a pump demand because you are uh, requesting that money for uh, for paying taxes, which is another form of uh, aggressive violence, uh, and uh, the supply part of fiat money is a completely arbitrary decision by some central banker. So uh, this is a uh, this is the outcome of the fiduciary uh, based money, which was uh, based on centralized institutions managing the money supply and the money management. Of course, the the fiduciary, let's say, uh, uh, in let's say, information theory-based money, like uh, a check, like uh, tra transfer-wise, uh, this is uh, basically um, something that is better for portability, transferability, because you can send money with PayPal from 
uh, Italy to Venezuela in one second technologically, then you will need days in order to clear it uh, from a bureaucratic and regulatory point of view. But technologically, uh, fiat money can be transferred uh, instantaneously and can be uh, can be uh, moved very, very easily, but it, it can be uh, manipulated very, very easily, like fiat money is usually debased uh, even more than, than uh, coins in the ancient times. Uh, so we have a problem of sound money. Our money right now is not anymore sound, it's not hard, so there is no resistance to inflate the supply or to tamper with the supply, manipulating interest rates and uh, causing economic crises. And also it's not private. So when I give you some piece of gold, I know that I'm paying you, you know that I'm paying you, and nobody, it's no, nobody else's business uh, except for me and you. While with fiduciary-based money, and especially in the, uh, in, in the internet era, uh, all this privacy is completely destroyed, and uh, these uh, uh, fiduciary gatekeepers of the payment, so PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, or my bank, your bank, or the central banks, or the government controlling the banks, they are getting all our information about one of the things which is most sensitive for privacy at, in, in, in everything we do. So payment is more sensitive for privacy than our uh, messages on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, because with payment, I'm talking about uh, the the the, uh, the personal uh, information about the disease that I have that I have to cure buying some medicine or my donation to some political cause that my boss do not like or my or the ring I bought for my lover uh, in not showing it for my to my family. So everything which is very very personal. Uh, passes through money. So the cypherpunks uh, the, during the 90s, they started to identify the privacy of money as one of the most important privacy fronts ever. So Bitcoin is an attempt to answer uh, both the problem of uh, sound money and the problem of private money uh, with the same tool, which is a decentralized uh, money system. Of course, uh, it's not easy to build it. So right now, Bitcoin is not super scalable as a payment system uh, in the layer one. It will be in the layer in the layer two and so on. And it's not very private because, yeah, it, it is private in a sense that uh, it's pseudonymous, but it's kind of easy to track and uh, and uh, cluster and uh, taint uh, and uh, and uh, and let's say. Uh, de-anonymize by law enforcement agencies. So we are still not, we still, we still haven't concluded the experiment. The experiment just started, but if it, if it's going to work, it will be one of the most, uh, uh, the most exciting experiments in the history of technology and of economy and of uh, uh, society at large. So I think that's a pretty good uh, succinct explanation of of Bitcoin and and really so you know talking about small blocks versus big blocks uh, for you know the, the the people at home really the the history of it I mean it kind of started really early I mean Hal Finney one of his first messages was that you know this thing really you know isn't going to be able to scale um, as it's designed and it's been kind of one of those nagging questions uh, you know very early on in Bitcoin that kind of was just shelved. I think for a while, just because it wasn't an issue. And then, you know, a few years back, it started to get a lot more, you know, heated with uh, proposals by, you know, Gavin um, with uh, Bitcoin XT and all that. And then it really kind of came to a head 
um, with the with the Segwit 2x uh, coming up last year, and with that kind of being uh, shut down, um, that kind of led to the you know the the first fork. Now there's I don't know, there's probably what like a hundred of them now, uh, but you know the first real fork uh, in Bitcoin that was kind of a test case uh, for how this thing was going to go, and so after that no 2x campaign and the and the fork into Bitcoin Cash. Um, now we kind of have this split case in a way of seeing, you know, which which side is right as far as for store value or for everyday cash or whatever you want to call it. Which one's actually going to to work? I mean, would you would you say it's a kind of a a fair brief assessment of the kind of a very brief assessment of the uh, scaling debate in Bitcoin? Uh, yeah, I think it is. Uh, I will not. I know that uh, this is a very annoying and uh, and uh, and I mean. Uh, pedantic uh, uh, distinction, but if we are talking technically, I would not call uh, Bcash or Bigol or anything else like that uh, as a fork. So when we uh, so uh, hard fork and soft fork and uh, software fork uh, are terms that are getting some kind of uh, terminological consensus right now in the community. So right now the consensus among uh, uh, people working on Bitcoin about the terms hard forks and soft forks uh, is such that uh, it is a hard fork if all the network accept to evolve the rules. So th- in that case, it's a successful hard fork. In the case of some uh, network split, like uh, the, the one of Bcash, which is basically the same thing of uh, the creation of a new altcoin with an initial airdrop, then it's not, uh, technically speaking, an hard fork because it's a, a uh, you can call it an failed attempt to hard fork that basically generated an altcoin with a distribution which is based on a UTXO-based airdrop. So, yeah, this is a pedantic distinction, but I think it's important to uh, to, to to know what what uh, uh, real developers are talking about while they are talking about hard forks. Uh, so Bitcoin did have a few hard forks at the beginning. At the beginning, it's not true that Bitcoin never hard forked. I, w- I was I used to think that uh, that was the case, but I was wrong. Uh, so Bitcoin did did pass through some hard forks in the Satoshi era, uh, but not anymore since uh, since uh, a long since a long time. And uh, Bcash was not an hard fork. It was uh, the creation of a new altcoin. I can create an altcoin and distribute it. Uh, on the base of the UTXO setting of yesterday, or I can distribute it half based on the UTXO set of yesterday and another half on the UTXO set of tomorrow. I can try to do any kind of uh, uh, manipulation, uh, any kind of degree of uh, airdrop style, but this uh, is, is not that any altcoin that gets airdropped to the UTXO set of Bitcoin becomes a Bitcoin fork. So a Bitcoin fork usually is an attempt to fork off the rules of Bitcoin in a way that expands the rules. So except for this very, very brief, uh, let's say, um, uh, correction about the, ter- the technical terminolo- terminology, I would really consider your uh, your wrap-up of the debate as uh, fair. Uh, I would just emphasize something, which is basically that, uh, as you said, Alfini itself uh, 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 waited in about this uh, this debate very early on, like in the first days, and Satoshi himself did the same. And he initially was like 
more leaning to be in the in the other uh, in the other field like uh, it was like dismissing the scalability problem at the beginning then it started to uh, to gradually admit that the spv model that he, he had uh, imagined was was basically trusting the miners completely and so it was a, a, a it was a degeneration of trustlessness and of decentralization uh, from the original design. Uh, this is not the only case in which Satoshi, I mean, Satoshi did a great job in, in coming out with Bitcoin. Wh- whoever he is or they are, they were uh, geniuses. But uh, in some cases, they, they, they got the uh, game theory uh, partially wrong. For example, in uh, the end sequence of code, uh, Satoshi was thinking to create a payment channel, the same things that now we use in Lightning. Uh, Satoshi was already envisioning payment channels, but uh, he was doing that uh, based on end sequence that was basically uh, based uh, on the idea that the miners will mine a transaction with a higher, uh, with a higher IC, uh, end sequence. Instead, the miners were not doing that. They were mining transactions with more fees for self-interest. So you cannot trust miners to enforce the rule. Miners are entrepreneurs. They can be easily corrupted by uh, centralized governments. And Satoshi didn't even know the problems of ASIC's uh, production concentration with Bitmain and all all these kind of problems. So, uh, so yes, there was a debate at the beginning, but the debate the debate started with Mike Hearn and then Gavin Anderson and then uh, Roger Ver and then Jian Vu. Uh, it was never, in my opinion, a real technical debate. All the technical knowledgeable people was always on one side of this debate. Uh, many people uh, think that in, inside this side, there is a lot of uh, disagreement. Like somebody thinks that uh, uh, two megabyte uh, or four megabyte with SegWit is okay. Luke Dashir thinks that it's already too much. Uh, Adam Beck thinks that we should put some kind of automatic increasing um, uh, block size, like the beat, BIP uh, 248 proposal from Adam Beck. Everybody is disagreeing, but nobody is disagreeing among technical knowledge, technically knowledgeable people about the fact that uh, a rushed hard fork in order to keep artificially uh, fees low with in- increasing adoption, just kicking the can uh, along the road without any kind of secular structure is really, really, really a bad idea. Basically, everybody that that studied the Bitcoin system uh, enough knows that uh, the, the same idea that you have every single transaction recorded by every single full node forever. So if you buy a coffee uh, in, in, in a, in an uncapped number of full nodes will have to record your coffee purchase in clear text on the blockchain forever. That's this cannot scale in any way. This is a obvious bad design. So uh, this is obvious for everybody. Of course, the the choose of the specific trade off, like uh, which is the best equilibrium between usability and uh, and uh, decentralization. This is not easy to answer, and there is a lot of disagreement. But my final, uh, I'm I'm taking too long to answer. But my fam- final consideration is that uh, the, in my opinion, the ninety percent of the debate that uh, ensued in these last uh, years was not technical and was mostly ideological. It was based on a fraction between, let's say, a te- technocratic elite, emergent elite. So the experts that are very annoying for normal people because they are, uh, I know, uh, they have an I know everything approach. 
they are they can be a little bit snobbish they they talk in a jargon that uh, maybe not everybody understands they make you think that that hard trade-offs exist so that real life have a scarcity and you have to cho choose between uh, user experience and decentralization why against these elitists you have the populists like Roger Ver and they 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 get their their influence their political influence telling people that it's not a matter of choices or scarcity or trade-offs abundance exists for everybody forever so there is like free stuff free lunch for everybody forever and the people that's telling you that you have to choose between one feature and the other they are just lying to you there is a conspiracy to tell you that there is some kind of trade-off so that they can control you or they can manipulate you this is the typical pop, uh, populist vs elitist political debate and i think that bitcoin was uh, in these last two years was affected by afflicted and affected by this kind of political and not technical duality and dichotomy between populists and elitists of course in this specific case i think that the elitists are technically right even if maybe their uh, the kind of style or behavior is not always the best pr uh, strategy that you can imagine but uh, i don't think that there is a, i don't acknowledge any kind of technical merit in the uh, let's say bcash front so uh, you know listening to people you know like jameson lop um you know i've heard of you know a couple podcasts and, and interviews with him um and, and there's quite a few other people within you know the you know the maximalist i guess community you know that that there will be a need uh, for a block size increase in the distant future, you know, whenever that is, you know, after Lightning Network's fully Im implemented, we you know we already have SegWitch, Nor Signatures, all these other aggregators, um, you know, have been fully Im implemented. We kind of run out of ideas for block efficiency, um, and then fees start to hit a point where it becomes on chain, uh, you know, more difficult, and then you end up just, you know, getting to a point where you have to keep everything on Lightning Network. Uh, you know, you, if you're the average person, do you agree with that statement that at some point, whether it's in 20 years or 100 years, there will have to be some sort of on-chain block increase? Uh, so I don't agree specifically in the fact that it's uh, strictly inevitable for the surviving of Bitcoin. I think that it's uh, very, very likely and very, very desirable. I think that uh, uh, some, some, sometimes, I mean, someday in the future, we should have a blockchain increase the problem with blockchain increase is first you should uh, you should privilege full node uh, operative cost containment over uh, easy ux because uh, if you lose the decentralization you are never going to recover from a centralization attack but while if you lose uh, uh, user experience and adoption, you can still have that adoption later if people really do need Bitcoin and they do need Bitcoin because otherwise our own premise is, uh, is broken from the beginning. So if nobody needs uh, a form of sound decentralized uh, censorship resistant money. So uh, if this is the case, uh, of course it would be a waste uh, over, uh, let's say, uh, 20 years from now, when really, uh, uh, when uh, the rate of increase of the Bitcoin blockchain will be uh, uh, relatively small compared with uh, bandwidth and uh, storage. Storage was never really a problem, but uh, mostly bandwidth and validation uh, 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 computing power. Uh, even 
uh, in worst case scenario. So Bitcoin must be resilient in the scenario in which everybody has to switch to Tor, everybody has to use VPN in order to overcome the great firewall of China. So uh, there is like a, a bad, bad situation geopolitical that makes internet not reliable anymore. So Bitcoin needs to be resilient as for a number of valid, independent validating nodes in the worst case scenario. When we will get to a situation in which uh, uh, block size, uh, blockchain increase, uh, blockchain rate of increase is negligible compared to the actual technology, uh, especially related to bandwidth and validation, then for sure it will be a waste not only to have only four megabytes of theoretical maximum, that is that is what we have now with SegWit, uh, of block space, but also to have 10 minutes of uh, uh, of uh, waiting time, so uh, one uh, one over ten minutes of block frequency is very very low. Uh, it's, it was a good compromise by Satoshi between user experience and decentralization. But if our technology allows us to have a, uh, to have much more, it's a waste uh, to have a base layer which is uh, uh, which has. Uh, uh, 10 minutes and uh, 4 megabytes. Maybe we would like to have 5 minutes and 20 megabytes or uh, 1 second and 2 terabytes if uh, if we're talking about years and years in the future. The problem is that, so I think there is no question about that. The problem is that uh, any kind of uh, hard fork change in Bitcoin is very dangerous because if you, uh, uh, if you don't have 100% agreement, you have a split. Uh, and so you failed your R fork and you cr are creating an altcoin. And also any kind of coordination, uh, it's, it's, in, it's in itself a possible attack vector for external adversarials. So any anytime you want, that's, that's true even for Yugodashi's proposal about proof of work change. Anytime you want to change something in Bitcoin, you are creating a vulnerability because if we don't coordinate, then we can split the network. Uh, with many damages in our network effects. And if we do coordinate effectively, then this coordination can be the backdoor for uh, adversarial to, to establish some kind of control over the network. So it's always bad to change Bitcoin. The nice thing is that block, uh, block size increase, and I think also block frequency increase up to a point could be in the future emulated in the same way we did with SegWit. So basically, you, it's not necessary to have an R fork in order to have a block increase and block size increase. And probably you can do perform some similar trick in order to perform a block frequency increase. I always stress that like it's very funny for me to see the big cash people right now debating about uh, decreasing the block uh, waiting time or, uh, or increasing the block frequency because it's exactly the same kind of trade-off. Big blocks and uh, and fast blocks have the same UX benefits, kind of, and the same uh, decentralization uh, uh, bad externalities, kind of. So uh, I think that these two things are, are very, very, very related, uh, very much related. And yes, I think that it would be uh, nice at some point in the future to have not just the block size, but even the block uh, frequency to be uh, somehow dynamic. So not just uh, uh, increased once, but maybe made dynamic. It's very, very hard to find a good way to do that because uh, uh, basically uh, one, one, one idea is to increase them uh, as variable uh, as um, 
uh, as a function of time, but this assumes that technology will always grow at a certain rate over time, which, which we know from the ancient past is not always the case macroscopically. Uh, sometimes the technology goes back after a war or some kind of uh, geopolitical situation. We can have uh, basically a, a decrease in, uh, in bandwidth overall and uh, in computing power overall. We can have unexpected problems. And also we can have a plateau in the Moore's law. We can have some kind of uh, fast growing uh, uh, industries reaching some kind of physical plateaus so it's not growing as fast as we thought. So having a fixed function of time is dangerous, uh, but having any kind of arbitrary voting system, like uh, the miners will vote for increases or decreases, like uh, the first Jeff Garzik proposal, that's also crazy, of course, because uh, a, a, a block space or block frequency uh, um, cap decided by the miners is basically a recursion problem. You have the same people you want to limit that are deciding on the limit. So overall, it's still an attack surface, which is very, very, very vulnerable. So it's not clear to me how we could do that. One final positive note, though, about this uh, uh, possible future hard fork is that there are other reasons not related to hard fork, to block size, sorry, that will probably force us to have at least one hard fork in the future of Bitcoin. There is, a, if you if you read about uh, SpoonNet research or other problems related with uh, with uh, basically the, the the a new version of the Millennium Bag. So there are uh, some problems that maybe we will not be able to solve with uh, soft forks. If that's the case, then some hard fork in the future will be performed. And if that's the case, there is no reason to not include a reasonable uh, block size and block frequency adjustment in, into that. Of course, it's, a, it's always dangerous to change Bitcoin. So I prefer status quo over any kind of, uh, of risky change. But if it's, an, if it's a not risky change, like SegWit, like, uh, uh, I don't know, now um, uh, BAP, uh, I, mean, I mean, the L2, Sigash uh, uh, no input modification or Schnorr signatures or uh, graft root. If it's something that is not dangerous, of course, we can have that change. So that's my answer. I, I'm not sure that it would be inevitable, uh, but it, I think it's very likely. And I think at the center point, it's, it is more than welcome. The problem is just that uh, it's probably too soon now. Now we, we have uh, more a problem of validating full nodes than a problem of people uh, paying $5 to, to use a completely censorship resi resistant uh, money transfer system of millions of dollars across the world uh, is not such a big deal, uh, even because right now in the monetization phase, Bitcoin is more for uh, permissionless saving than for permissionless paying, even if it's also for permissionless paying in, in some context. Uh, so in this context, uh, and with the second layer, uh, second layer technology still developing, uh, and also you, you can see that when, when there is need, uh, you have basically... Uh, smart people finding solutions. Like at the beginning, the problem was that uh, everybody was supposed to open payment channel with everybody else. And that was still not scalable. That lightning idea came in. So now you can just open a couple of, of channels and with everybody and route through everybody. But then it was still not perfectly scalable. So uh, channel factories came in. So now one person can open a lightning channel that will serve uh, 
five, ten other people. But then L2 came in with multi, multi, multi-party channels. So now you can open a five or ten or sixteen parties uh, uh, lighting channel. Of course, after Sigashno input gets in production with uh, L2 technique. So as you can see. There is always improvement. There is a submarine swaps. There is a lot of stuff that people is, is thinking about now because the limitation of the base layer is improving ingenuity and, and, and a smart lateral thinking. So the short answer is yes, I do think that we will are forced to increase block size and block frequency in the future, but I'm not sure that's uh, completely inevitable. And if the only way to do that is uh, not safe, I will rather fight against any kind of any such a, a change. It, my my follow up was was initially going to be then you know if you see it as inevitable or or you know you know more likely then why not now? But I think I kind of understand your answer to be it's not necessarily inevitable. It's if we're going to do that change, it's better in the future when we have a better idea of how this network's going to evolve. And when we have a greater network effect to counter counteract any kind of centralization that could happen with miners, and in, in a smaller network with a with a smaller hash rate than say in 10, 20 years, I, I guess you know one of the the things is is to kind of throw out where I where I sit on this is I'm kind of one of those uh, wishy washy uh, fence sitters in a way where I see and I'm kind of I, I kind of feel for the reasoning behind people who are for the big blocks because of the ability. To for to you know their arguments for increasing adoption now you know mostly just because i'm becoming increasingly worried that you know say um central bank or corporate centralized crypto payment networks are are going to beat us to adoption in a way because you know they have home field advantage they have public trust you know maybe not necessarily uh warranted and they have an you know an innate ability to incentivize adoption where you know a quote unquote decentralized network may not have and i think one of the major issues that we kind of have in this space, and less so that you know you're kind of in the in, in the business field versus um, some of the other you know folks that are kind of on the more technical side, but um, I think a major issue is based in the you know in this space is on ideological and technical mindsets. You have people like us who are libertarians. We understand you know the value of sound money over fiat, and and we really get why Bitcoin is so revolutionary. Unlike Peter, you know people like Peter Schiffer, they're still stuck on gold, but you know, most people don't get that. We've been talking about that, you know, how gold is, is a much better than fiat for years. And, and in the end, you know, they don't really care. And then on the other hand, you have kind of, you know, the prominent folks in this field, like you said, they're, they're technical folks, you know, kind of this technocracy or, uh, uh, you know, technocratic kind of folks who really get the nuts and bolts of how all this works. But I, I think one of the issues we really have here is kind of this lack, you know, this really lack of UX and UI development as well for these platforms and that you know that along with you know people like things that look pretty and are easy to use and they're also i mean just lazy and and um i think if you gave the average person on the street a pretty app denominated dollars and then you gave them you know a bitcoin app that wasn't as pretty but you know has you know the cryptographically secure censorship resistant you know all this sort of stuff uh that that secures it people are going to pick the pretty one, the easy one every time. And people really value their time. I mean, Uber exploded, not because people hated taxis. I mean, I do think that Uber is better than taxis, but it exploded because you could sit on your couch, tap a few buttons, 
and wait until that same app told you to come outside. It really saved time. And time's really, when you look at what becomes more popular in culture and in business, it's always what saves time for the people. And I think, you know, are all the things that make Bitcoin, you know, secure, immutable, you know, it, all these things important? I think absolutely. And I think they need to be, you know, nurtured, as you said. And I agree totally with that. But will most people care? Um, if we don't make it so simple that a five-year-old, you know, five-year-old could use it, I, I, I kind of struggle with that. And I'm just kind of worried that we're going to end up hodling our Bitcoin. It's still going to have value. It's still going to be worthwhile. While at the same time, everybody around us is spending MasterCard coin or uh, to get gas or, you know, at, at the same time that we're trying to get people who had no problem with fiat over gold to understand why Bitcoin is better than, say, Facebook token. And that's kind of one of the, you know, my thought process and why I kind of feel for the argument for big block for adoption in the immediate term. But I on the also, on the other hand, I understand your uh, and the maximalist argument against, you know, don't do what Ethereum is doing. Don't do the move fast and break things because we can't really afford to. I mean, what are your thoughts on on that kind of argument? So I understand your thought process, but I really don't uh, share it. I, I, I really uh, debate that uh, uh, I, in an absolute way. So if you ask me, uh, is it better to have a, a one megabyte block or a three megabyte block right now? My answer is I don't really know. Uh, it's it's a very it's a very nuanced topic, and I may be wrong or my, I may be right. Uh, but I, I have not a strong opinion. I have strong opinions about changing the rules uh, with forks, with contagious forks, but not about the, the ideal block size. While on this reasoning that you just exposed, I have a very, very uh, base level uh, objection, which makes uh, all these a completely not non-issue, logical non-issue for me. So I understand where you come from with this, but I think that with some logical reasoning, you can uh, easily uh, dismiss this problem as a, a, as a just an investment problem for uh, Bitcoin holders or Bitcoin traders if they have to uh, sell their Bitcoin or not. But that's the only part of the problem. The libertarian and, uh, uh, and visionary part of Bitcoin are not at all affected by this issue, and I will try to explain why. So basically, you have three uh, scenarios, three options, and I don't think you can find a fourth. So the first scenario is people around the world will eventually do need uh, sound money and private money. So uh, the reason that um, that uh, we we are we are in this is that great part of the people over the world, uh, rich people, want to. Uh, to do capital flights from from China or from Italy or from everywhere, people want to buy uh, substances or services over the web that are not always very very uh, ple uh, pleasant for their or political authority. People want to donate to WikiLeaks. People want to donate to political opposition to tyranny. People wants to uh, uh, basically buy uh, rings to their lover without being tracked. People want to save money without inflation destroying their wealth or their family wealth for generations like with the dollars. So the first scenario is people do need uh, uh, this kind of, uh, uh, of thing. This first scenario is divided in two sub-scenarios. The first part is 
we can reach this kind of result, which is needed by the people eventually, and people will feel that they need this scenario, uh, generally speaking, uh, only with Bitcoin, which is my uh, position. So I don't think that centralized systems will be able, like Visa or Mastercard, will be able to provide um, sound money and private money. So they, are, they will never be a competition because being centralized, they will never uh, basically uh, beat us uh, or beat Bitcoin because they will always have the problem. But the nice thing about these first two scenarios is that if I'm right, then Bitcoin is the only hope to reach this kind of scenario. Uh, and then we have to preserve Bitcoin and we don't have to fear competition because if I'm right about the scenario, call it uh, 1A, so we need uh, private money and some money and the only answer, realistic answer to that is Bitcoin, the only one. So if I'm right in choosing this scenario, then every competition is dead on arrival because uh, they cannot provide the same user experience, not because of... Uh, uh, of uh, uh, speed or because of uh, easy, easy UX, but because of the fundamental problem of uh, uh, permissionless saving without uh, uh, in, uh, infl uh, inflation uh, or permissionless payment without uh, uh, traceability or de-anonymization or censorship or post-censorship when the government knows what you paid for and so it will punish you. It will punish you. So if this things are needed and Bitcoin is the only answer, then there is intrinsically no possibility of competition. Every other more centralized network or alternative solution will lose compared to Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the only answer. But now let's consider that I'm wrong. And so people still need sound money and private money, but Bitcoin is not the only answer. MasterCard coin can also provide, a at least for uh, some amount of time, an alternative to Bitcoin, which is as private or almost as private and as sound. So you can save your wealth of your family in MasterCoin, uh, MasterCard coin without being uh, uh, robbed by the government inflation. You can buy with MasterCard coin without uh, uh, people censoring you or tracking you. If that's the case, so I'm wrong about Bitcoin unicity. I don't think I'm wrong for many considerations, but if I'm wrong, then no problem. So what's the problem? If we're going to end up with Bitcoin on one side, uh, covering the first scenario, A1, and with any other kind of alternative in scenario A2, then what's the worst case scenario? That I'm wrong, and then we will have freedom from inflation and freedom from censorship with several competing networks. Of course, if these competing networks can uh, uh, provide uh, uh, alternatives, then first of all, I don't think they would be Bcash or Ethereum because they are too uh, they are too fake decentralized in order to really work as well as the centralized solution can work. The centralized solution are great for UX because they can evolve very fast. They can be super centralized, so they can have uh, high speed, low cost, uh, uh, fast evolution. But they are very bad and pr at privacy and at uh, hard money. Uh, protection because they are easy to control in order to impose uh, traceability and KYC ML or, uh, or inflation and monetary based manipulation. So my second scenario is, sure, uh, we can have Bitcoin and we can have alternatives and alternatives can answer to this need for private money and sound money of the people. So still, what's the point in changing Bitcoin? 
we should keep Bitcoin safe for the first scenario. And eventually we will get a, an even better outcome with, when we can, uh, when everybody's happy and every kind of uh, uh, central banking uh, cryptocurrency is private and sound. So we will use that as well. I mean, basically in that scenario, Bitcoin has magically forced the rest of the world to become like Bitcoin. If that's the scenario, uh, I don't see any problem, except that I will probably have to sell some of my Bitcoin, not at $2 million, but maybe at uh, uh, $2,000. Who cares? That's my, uh, that's my basically portfolio allocation problem. It's not a fundamental problem that we, we, will, we should concern about uh, in order to change Bitcoin anyhow. Uh, there is a third scenario. So there, there, there is A1. Uh, we need the people that do need the privacy and some money uh, and only Bitcoin is the answer. There is A2. People do need private money and sound money, and there are multiple competing answers. Still good, no problem, no reason to change Bitcoin. Uh, let's make them compete, and if Bitcoin loses to competition, that's, that's all good because competition was better. Uh, the third scenario is people do not need globally sound money or private money, but only, only a small niche uh, do need that. It's this the case. I don't think this is the case. I think that the majority of the economic exchanges in the world right now are in into the gray market. So I think that the permissionless gray market is bigger than the permissioned white market. So I don't think that's the case that people do not need to, uh, to go around censorship and to go around money manipulation. But if that's the case, still, who cares? We should probably keep Bitcoin as an instrument for our niche of libertarian and dark web uh, traders or uh, exchangers and merchants and whatever, and gold bug uh, fanatics. So if normal people is not going to join these two value propositions, that there is no reason to pretend for two years that they do, uh, uh, pretending that the reason they should adopt is because it's fast or it's because it's cheap or because it's cool with smart contracts and tooling completeness. Fake marketing in order to attract adoption of something that people do not want is not going to end well anyway. So people eventually will, will leave Bitcoin for something if they don't need decentralization in order to achieve some money and private money, they will anyway leave Bitcoin when they realize that Visa coin can be even faster because they're centralized, even cheaper because they're centralized, and even more cool and with a huge marketing department, even more than uh, Ethereum. I mean, Ethereum is, is thriving because much part of the budget they raised with the RCO was used not for development, but for marketing. Uh, think about Visa. They can do even more marketing than Ethereum. So there is actually no race in that side. It's like, uh, really, it's like... Uh, uh, you're creating some kind of space suit because you think that people is going to go into space and uh, people is selling uh, some kind of uh, uh, some kind of uh, jeans and shirts as an alternative to space suit, space uh, space suits so the problem is either people is really going to space and so they will have to buy the very very difficult to use very very heavy very very clumsy space suit you are building and not the uh, jeans and shirt that uh, your your competition is selling, uh, they they may not realize the difference now that they are still in the rocket uh, going to the space. But as soon as they open the gate and they go into open space, 
uh, you can be sure that they will realize the, the difference. Because if I'm wrong and there is no difference, then no problem. Then we discovered that we didn't need spacesuits in order to go into the space. We just needed shirts and, and jeans. And so I would be more than happy to admit that I was wrong, to uh, throw away every kind of research on spacesuits and to just buy uh, jeans and shirts. And even if you understand that people do not want to go into space at all, then still, uh, I, if we are only, if, we're, if we are the only two fanatics that actually want to go to space, who cares about the fact that other people think that we could go there with the shirts and jeans? We know that we can, we need a, a space suit. So, uh, it was a very long answer and I'm sorry, but no, my point fine. is that logically speaking, there is, there is not such an issue. Uh, there is no competition possible for Bitcoin by definition. And if there is, then, uh, there is no reason to fear the competition anyway. I, I think that was a great answer, and I, I don't want to keep you too long. I know that uh, you've got other things to do today, but uh, d just for a final answer, uh, I wanted to just have you talk about or just kind of define uh, Bitcoin maximalism. It's very tied to you know the, the small big block debate. Debate. I mean, I don't I don't find a lot of people that would consider themselves necessarily uh, Bitcoin Cash maximalists. Um, although some people uh, will will call themselves Bitcoin max maximalists, but are big blockers. But I, I don't find too many people that do advocate specifically to stick with small blocks uh, for for definitely for the time being right now that aren't maximalists. So if if you could you know kind of give a, a overview of what maximalism is. You know what I mean. I guess it's kind of an ethereal term uh, that probably means different things to different people, but uh, just kind of a, a general rough overview. I guess what it means to you. Sure. So uh, as you said, it's it's a word, and every word, especially at the beginning of its use, can have uh, different shapes and meanings. But the the way I tend to use it to describe myself, and the way that I think is useful uh, because it's identify uh, some kind of consistent thinking and consistent philosophy of maximalism, uh, even if some, somebody has noticed that maximalism uh, maximalism is not the better term, uh, it's not the best term, because uh, it means in art that you want more stuff instead of less, less which is actually uh, the, the opposite of Bitcoin maximalist. Uh, but, uh, and they are proposing Bitcoin suprematists, which will have some kind of political uh, color to it. But anyway, uh, uh, Vitalik Buterin uh, coined the term, the word, uh, the, the expression Bitcoin maximalist in a pejorative way. And we kind of adopted it uh, in a, uh, in a, uh, with pride. And, uh, and so what does maximalism? Is that usually uh, how those things start? Sorry? I was saying, isn't that usually how those things usually start? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, it's uh, more often the, the the way that these kind of things are. So the the you appropriate of a derogatory term in a in a in a in a proud way. So basically, I will describe Bitcoin maximalism in this way uh, with uh, actually these uh, uh, these uh, three uh, rules. The first rule is everything which is not Bitcoin inside the uh, the cryptocurrency environment which is not based strictly on bitcoin or improving bitcoin or working with bitcoin around bitcoin is a scam and i will try to uh to, to try to be a little bit more nuanced but now i'm just uh, i'm just declaring the first principle so first rule every kind everything which is not bitcoin inside the bitcoin derived space so the blockchain 
or so private blockchains, altcoins, they are scams. Uh, uh, second rule, every uh, important modification to Bitcoin, which is not super slow, super accepted, super uh, consensual, uh, is a scam. So any important uh, s- uh, and sudden and uh, controversial uh, modification to Bitcoin is a scam or an attack. And third, which is a more a question of a more a question of style than of uh, um, content, uh, you should not be nice with scammers, and you should not be uh, accommodating or uh, open to compromises or uh, or trying to be nice with everybody. You should call out scammers without any kind of uh, uh, periphrases or uh, or nice uh, uh, sugar pill. Uh, over it, you should be very direct and you should uh, annoyingly and continuously and uh, pedantically called, uh, call out every scammers, including the ones in the first two categories. So I think that the, this, uh, the, the reason for, for this, uh, I mean, I don't have time to explain details or, or, or about how I came up with this three definition about Bitcoin maximalism, uh, but uh, uh, I, I will try to give some kind of impression. Maybe I will, I will make some speech about it someday, but uh, I will try to give some very, very fast impression. So basically, uh, the, uh, the, 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 first I start from the, from the last part. The reason we should not be nice with scammers is that if Bitcoin is decentralized, uh, it's not protected by the usual uh, systems that we are used to uh, to leverage in traditional markets or industry, like uh, uh, people suing uh, scammers or law enforcement, uh, protecting people from themselves, uh, uh, like uh, market restriction, regulators, uh, all this kind of stuff uh, is by definition disappeared from Bitcoin if Bitcoin's worse. So that means that Bitcoin must be defended uh, by uh, from scammers. The, uh, we, we have to work more to keep the space free and clean because uh, usual ways to uh, to keep this kind of uh, uh, inevitable situations like uh, uh, scammers, uh, fraudsters, uh, uh, or just uh, uh, con artists or or uh, snake oil sellers, uh, all this kind of stuff gets kept, gets kept somehow. Uh, in, uh, under control, not really, in traditional markets by law enforcement and reputation and liability. In Bitcoin, you don't have those stuff because in the cypherpunk dream, if it succeeds, you don't have uh, global reputation, you don't have physical enforceability, you don't have mostly, uh, uh, of course, I'm speaking as a trend, some, some corner case you will always have. So for this reason, it's even more important that we... Uh, we keep our ethical uh, and technological bar very, very, very high and not very, very low. So uh, it's it's not uh, a, a, the reason why maximalists are not nice with scammers uh, is not that they are angry people or they are uh, as a, as a uh, as a as a personal character they are particularly uh, violent. I, I myself I like to get along with people, but it's a, really a philosophical proposition, the one to stay, uh, to, to compensate the lack of any kind of legacy control with very, very high uh, standards, ethical standards and technical standards. Because, uh, and this is a strictly related problem, because Bitcoin can be 
uh, it's a social construct. And uh, even if part of it is, is technological, so it's mathematic and code and hardware, still much part of it, as for any kind of game theory structure, is social. So social taboos and social rules and social uh, and, and cultural uh, constructs, they can affect and they are affecting and they will affect Bitcoin, mostly in defending it from centralization. So uh, creating a culture around Bitcoin is also part of the protocol. So the uh, people behaving in a certain way and reacting to scammer is part of the Bitcoin protocol in the web space. So we should not get along with scammers. Of course, with, with, with some scammers, I cannot avoid to get along. I mean, uh, if I, 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 I'm i a bad maximalist sometimes because if I see John McAfee, it's so funny to me that I cannot avoid to, 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 to laugh that I, I cannot be angry at him because he's like the Huber scammer and it's so self-evident that only also BitConnect. I mean, I cannot be, really be angry at Carlos Matos. It's, I, I love him. But uh, anytime I talk about... Uh, um, or R3 SEV or digital assets uh, uh, or, uh, or Bcash or Ethereum, uh, I call out scammers. And about the first and the second rule, I think that uh, my previous answer somehow explains to you the reasons I think so. But the thing is that basically I don't, uh, we as maximalists define it in this very, very narrow way. We don't think that any alternative to Bitcoin could succeed. Bitcoin is somehow an almost irreputable experiment for many technological and cybersecurity uh, and, and open security and uh, uh, economical and monetary theory reasons. Uh, so it's uh, an, an experiment which is probably impossible to replicate. And there is no reason to change it in order to accommodate adoption because uh, for the reason I explained before, there is not a race toward adoption. It's like a logically uh, impossible problem. So these are my, this is my maximalist manifesto. Yeah, I think it's, it's funny uh, that you mentioned John. Uh, I, I follow him as well because it's so hilarious to me that he openly just says, if you get me $150,000, I'll shill your coin. And uh, yeah. it still works, though. I mean, he'll mention, yeah. you know, like the Bitcoin private and all that stuff and and uh, doing like a week long of really bad memes. <laughs> and uh, it's still it still gives a bump to the price. I guess it works. That's why people pay him. But I mean, it's a uh, it's a it's a heck of a business. So I guess as long as these, as long as it's working yeah. for him, I mean, go for it, John. I guess you know. Yeah, I see. I see John as an immunization of the system. Like he's the is uh, the immunitary uh, antigen. Uh, so <laughs> it's not. I, I don't. I don't know about any smart people that will fall for that. So it's not really uh, attacking uh, the kind of target of Bitcoin. Uh, only uh, morons in uh, looking for a quick buck can fall there, but they will fall for for uh, uh, any kind of uh, uh, diet uh, uh, diet solution or uh, multi-level marketing solution. I mean, they, they, if, if they're not falling for McAfee, they would fall for Herbalife or anything else. Uh, Giacomo, I'd like to thank you very much. It was, it was extremely informative. I actually do have a lot of things uh, I need to think on. Uh, that that you've mentioned and kind of brought up with some some of the arguments that I was kind of bringing up and kind of had held on to. So I'm I'm not saying I'm yet a maximalist, but uh, I I would say that 
it, you know, there, there were a lot of answers to the questions that I, that I had been, uh, you know, running around my head. And I really appreciate your time, especially with the about four separate incidences of, of mess ups between technology and a power outage here. So uh, I, I thank you again for, for spending your Saturday with us. As we said, uh, bandwidth is a limitation and we'll be very, we should be very, very aware of uh, a worst case scenario about bandwidth. So everything is fine. It was a pleasure for me and thank you for inviting me.